The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show! We are back! The Break the Business Podcast is back. We've been dark for two weeks because of the hurricane, but we are back now. And not only are we back, but we are back for episode 100. (laughs) Woo! Yes, yes, yes. We have finally made it. We are here. We have hit the century mark, baby. One hundred episodes. We did it. One more cartoon party horn. Yes. Thank you all so much for being here for episode 100 of the Break the Business podcast. Oh my God, we got a lot of fun stuff going on. I'm your host, Ryan Carella. Dave, my co-host, is going to be here in the third segment. He's going to join us too. Uh, For all the Dave fans, don't worry, Dave's here. He's going to be here in the third segment. It's going to be awesome. Very, very quick housekeeping because, oh my God, we have so much stuff to do for episode 100. It is a stacked, stacked lineup befitting the great monumental of this occasion of hitting the century mark you can rate review and subscribe to the break the business podcast on itunes soundcloud google play and stitcher you can uh, contact us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com follow me on twitter at ryan k-a-i-r follow dave at metal dave 85 like it like us on facebook facebook.com slash break the business I got a book. You should get that book. It's called Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. It is available in not one, not two, but three different formats, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. If you like listening to this voice, well, you can listen to me in audiobook form. You can check all those things out at Amazon. Okay, good. We got the housekeeping stuff out of the way. And oh my God, do we have a lot of stuff to do today. It is going to be busy. But first of all, before we get too Stuck in everything, I just want to say right off the top, thank you so much for listening to this podcast through all hundred of these episodes. Thank you for getting to this cool occasion with us. Thank you for being a fan. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for the emails. Thank you for the tweets. Thank you for the nice comments. Thank you for the mean comments. Thank you for all of it. I never thought we'd get this far and here we are. And we couldn't have done it without you. So thank you very, very much. And it is true. We've been out for a while. We have been dark for three weeks because (laughs) we had a little hurricane adventure here in South Florida. The Break the Business podcast is based in South Florida. We're in Miami. We've got a studio right in Southwest Miami-Dade County. And you might have heard in the news that we had a little bit of a meteorological disturbance in the form of a really nasty hurricane named Irma went up the west coast of Florida made a really big mess of things the podcast was out of of power or without power I should say for over a week my house uh well first I should mention the more important thing the Corellas are okay the Corellas were all all good my brothers my dad, my wife, the dog, uh, every my you know my brothers also live in Miami. Their wives, they're okay. My nephews, nieces, everybody's good. The Corellas are all present and accounted for. The Corellas are good. The same cannot be said for the Corellas' houses, 
Some of them got wrecked in more ways than others. I took a little bit of damage. Not, I'm counting my blessings because it could have been a heck of a lot worse. But we did lose our fence. The Corella fence is gone. We got a little bit of a roof leak. Uh, lost my porch screen. But I can't emphasize this enough, especially with what's going on in the rest of the world in places like Puerto Rico where it's been a real mess and they're continuing to get hammered by storms. It could be a lot worse. We're counting our blessings. But we do have some cleanup work to do. And I have... And I want to express my gratitude for all of you for bearing with us as we've been putting the studio back together and getting our power back on to bring this podcast back to you. I know we've been out for two weeks because of the hurricane, but now we're back. Now we're better than ever. Now we're at episode 100, baby. If you went, if you've gone through the hurricane too, if you're a, if you're a South Florida person, if you're a Florida person, if Irma, (coughs) pardon me, if Irma did some things to you. Let me know that you're okay. Let me know that you got through the storm okay. It was a it was a big mess and I'm glad we all came out on the other side of it. So, let's talk about what we're doing this week cuz it's been 3 weeks since we last spoke, 2 weeks, 3 weeks, something like that since we last spoke. We might have all forgotten what the name of the game is here for this weekend. But the fact that we were talking about the hurricane makes perfect sense because this episode is pretty much all about the hurricane. As we talked about in episode 99, which seems so long ago now, We are doing a special hurricane-related relief promotion in honor of episode 100, where we are going to give back to the community. And what we are doing is we have asked you, the listener, to send in listener questions about your music career that you wanted us to answer on the show. And for every question that you send in that we answered on the show, we are going to donate $10 to Hurricane Harvey Relief. That was the hurricane that was going through Texas, that was the whole reason why this started. In in between me announcing this Hurricane Harvey relief thing, my hometown, Miami, Florida, got its own hurricane, but we're still going to be focused on the hurricane that we wanted to take care of some things with. So we're going we're gonna to help some people for this week's episode. And when I asked you guys to send in some questions about your music career for Hurricane Harvey relief so we could you know raise some money, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if we were going to get a few questions here or there. I didn't know if no one was going to be interested. I don't know who listens to this podcast. I don't know what kind of numbers I have. I don't check that stuff. But I could not have expected the outpouring of questions I got from you guys. Seriously. Great job. You guys stepped up. You flooded the Break the Business email inbox, breakthebusiness at gmail.com with questions. You hounded my Twitter account with the BTB100 hashtag with questions. You sent me Facebook messages. You, you know, picketed my house. I was getting questions from all sources. I'm, st- I'm still not even sure if I caught all of them. And we were able to take a bunch of them and get answers for them. And we're going to answer as many questions as we can this week so that we can raise some money. Again, for every question we answer on this week's episode... We're the Break the Business podcast is donating $10 for hurricane relief. And I'm not doing this alone. This is a massive undertaking answering all these questions. And I accept the fact that while I feel like I'm somewhat versed in the legal side of the music industry and I know some things about the business side, I'm also not much of a actual musician, musician type person. And there are some things about the music business that I don't know. So what I have done is assemble a fantastic list of great musicians and music industry professionals who I sent some of these questions that you sent me 
and they answered them. And so some of the questions are going to be answered by some of the fan, some fantastic friends of the show, including Kevin Bruner, the vice president of marketing at CD baby, JP Collio, big friend of the show. Sue's the rock star advocate. She's awesome. DJ Spruik. He's going to be answering some questions for us. He's a fantastic musician. Great friend of the show has been on a couple times. And as I also promised last week, while we're answering questions and raising money for hurricane relief, we're also going to have a mystery musical performance in the next segment. And I don't want to reveal who the mystery musical performer is. I'm going to keep you in the dark for a little bit longer. Or maybe I won't, because maybe I'll accidentally write this person's name in the podcast description and remove all the suspense. But either way, most people don't read podcast descriptions anyway. It's a mystery. The only clue I'll give you about who the performer is is that they are a former guest that we have had on the show. This is a guest we have had. They have been here they've uh and they've been awesome and i'm really excited to have this person back in the studio again this is the first time in this podcast's 100 episode history that we have had a live musical performance on the show we've never we've played lots of pre-recorded music on the show we've never had a live musical performer until this week and that's coming up in the next segment so don't go anywhere and of course we got dave coming in for the third segment so don't go anywhere for that all right I'm going to start things off by just answering some questions that listeners have sent in. And remember, you know, keep track, folks. Every question that we answer for the podcast that you guys sent in, we're donating $10 to Hurricane Harvey Relief. So we're going to try to mow through these as quickly as possible while still answering these questions well. Because, again, these are, pe- these are questions you guys want real answers to, so we don't want to shortchange you uh, just to you know, rack up the dollars. But we want to make sure that we you know get through as many as we can for the listeners. So... I want to begin with a quick disclaimer here, and it's the one that we give at the beginning of the podcast, but it warrants repeating again. Every case is unique, and what we're not giving today can constitute legal advice. This is informational and entertainment purposes only. A question that the questions that we're getting, we're not getting all the context of a particular listener situation. There might be things about the listener situation that we don't know. We're doing the best we can with a limited question. Every case is different. So a question might be different. A a question you hear, if you think you have a similar situation, it might actually be a different situation. And so you should always talk to an attorney or another relevant professional, like an accountant or a business manager, whoever is the relevant professional to help you with the piece of advice that you need. Most often it's an attorney. Talk to somebody like this before making a decision. While this Q&A session could be informative for you, there is no substitute for a legal professional. This is not legal advice, informational entertainment purposes only. Okay, have we quick? Have we uh, have we covered all the bases, people? All right, let's answer some questions. Let's raise some money for Hurricane Harvey relief. First question from a listener. I know there's a legal loophole with posting covers on YouTube. The question asker asks, what do I need to do if I were to use each cover as an MP3 lead magnet? For example, suppose I post an acoustic cover of the Thong Song by Cisco. I did, by the way. Wow, I'd like to meet this artist. What do I need to do to cover myself legally if I add an, a link with an MP3 download of the song? Okay. If there is a legal loophole for posting covers on YouTube, I've never heard of it. Folks, don't mess with copyright law. Copyright law is serious business. Aside from just the moral fact of stealing people's work, you know, without their permission, you know, using people's work without their permission, putting all that aside, 
there's just so many legal dangers with it. The damages for copyright infringement can be severe and it's, it can just be a really big legal mess for yourself. So, you know, don't try to find cute tricks to get around your, your legal rights. And now in the realm of YouTube videos, I know every artist wants to do YouTube covers. There are so many artists who have made their career on doing YouTube covers. Justin Bieber comes to mind, you know, that, that, that big superstar artist, uh, Justin Bieber, he got his start doing YouTube covers like Usher songs, I believe it was. And there are so many artists who have rose through the ranks by covering other people's stuff on YouTube videos. It's a great way to get exposure and raise your brand, but you got to do it the right way. You need, if you're going to cover a song on YouTube, you have to get the right licenses. You need what's called a synchronization license. You have to pay for the right to synchronize this person's song with your video. Now, you don't need the copyright in the sound recording if you're covering the YouTube video because it's your own recording of the song, but you do need the permission whoever owns, of whoever owns the copyright in the song. Now, you might be asking yourself, will I get caught? Well, will I actually get in legal trouble? A lot of artists have already sort of pre-licensed their music for YouTube, where if you perform a cover song on YouTube and YouTube finds out, they'll just stick an ad in front of your video, but they won't take it down. But other times, it can get taken down, and you could even be subject to lawsuits, and you don't want to mess with that. And what you can do is just license the work. There's a great service out there called We Are The Hits that actually uh, actually specializes in helping you get licenses for YouTube covers. This is all they do. And they can get you the the licenses you need to do the covers, and you can do this the right way, and you can sleep better at night. There are a lot of myths out there about you know, how to post covers on YouTube. There are people who think that if you put a link to the MP3 of the video, it's okay. Or if you say in the video's description that you don't own the work or that if it, you know, or you put in the video's description that it's fair use, that it's okay. Or if you don't monetize the video, it's okay. But none of it's okay. If you want to, you, if you want to cover an artist's work on YouTube, get the proper licenses, get the permission. And uh, it'll, you'll be doing right by the artist who wrote the song and you'll sleep better at night. There you go. $10 in the bank. Next question. I have a song written, a question asker writes, and another artist is going to sing on it. If I cut the song, how do I make sure they get their royalties? I would like to give them a small piece of the master recording. At the end of this month, should I see how many I've sold and cut her the appropriate check? Or is this something my distributor should handle? How do PROs fit into this as well? Um, this is what we lawyers like to call a compound question. It's many questions in one. And I know some of you are going to say, well, if you're answering five questions in one, it should be $50. And to you, I say, shut up, because you're going to bankrupt this podcast. But this is a good question. A lot of artists will have other artists record on their songs because music is so often a team sport. You can't do it all on your own. And so how do you set that up for yourself and these other artists? Well, you want to start with some pen and paper. You want to set up a contract with this other artist that dictates how you're going to compensate them. You, know, you give them a percentage of the money that comes in from your distributor, like TuneCore and CD Baby. That's one way to do it. Um, because it's hard to just say it's a royalty per album because there's so many ways that artists today make money off a of recording. You have money that comes in through physical CD sales. You have money that comes in through downloads. You have money that comes in through streaming. And so it might just be easier to say you can get a cut a small percentage of what comes in through my distributor. If you use somebody like TuneCore or CD Baby to distribute your work, and it makes your life a lot easier. 
Another quick piece of uh, note worth noting here, if the artist is a featured artist on your, re- on your record, they could be eligible for royalties through sound exchange uh, for songs that are played on passive online media like uh, Pandora, internet radio, things like that. And so you and that artist would want to set up an account over there to make sure they get all of the uh, royalties that they deserve. But all this gets really tricky. The question that you sent me, it doesn't give me all the details of your situation, and those details can matter. And so uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I'm going to say this at least six or seven times throughout the episode. Get a lawyer to create the agreement that sets up this payment arrangement. Allow a lawyer to look at your specific situation and come up with the arrangement that works best for you. Don't go this alone. There was a piece at the end that the question asker asked about how do PROs fit into this. Well, PROs talk about songwriting. What you were talking about in the earlier part of your question is paying a featured artist for a sound recording. PROs are performance rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. They pay out public performance royalties for songwriters. When a song is played on the radio, when a song is played at a music venue or at a bar or something like that, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC pay the songwriters for when those songs are played there. So... The only way that a PRO would come into play for this artist friend of yours is if they were one of the folks who wrote the song and owned a piece of the actual song. And if they did, they'd be entitled to all the same publishing royalties, which would include public performance royalties through their PRO, such as ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. Ten bucks in the bank. Next question from a listener. What inspired you, I guess that refers to me, to write your book? All right. I love answering this question. If you've listened to episodes of this podcast before, you might get bored having to hear this answer again, but I love telling this answer, and I certainly love telling if it means another $10 for Hurricane Harvey relief. So here's how it happened. When I got started as an entertainment lawyer, what I often found myself doing, the the client that I had most often coming in the door was an artist who had a record deal. Uh, somebody wanted to sign them to a record deal, usually some small label. And they said, Hey, you're a lawyer. Can you look at this for me? And I said, sure. I'm a big artist advocate. I love artists. I got into this to help artists. And so I'm going to review this agreement. And then they, they would usually follow it up by saying, well, I don't have any money. (laughs) Can you look at it anyway? And I'd go, yeah, sure. Because I love musicians and you guys are the best and I've always idolized you. So I'll do pro bono work. And so I've, I've reviewed a lot of these record deals and what I found consistently over and over in reading all these record deals is I couldn't find a single record deal that was brought in front of me that I could ever in good conscience advise a client to sign in this music industry where it's easier than ever to do all the things a label does record, distribute, market, promote your music, fund your music. All those things are easier and cheaper to do than ever. And yet I was, you know, artists could do these things themselves. And yet I was reading contracts where labels were trying to steal so much from artists. They wanted to own the copyrights, the intellectual property in the work, in the masters, which is the most valuable piece of property an artist has. They wanted to tell an artist how to record, when to record, who to record with, and not allow an artist to record anywhere else. They were telling artists, I want 30% of all the money you make, not just the money you make as a recording artist, but in your touring, or if you acted a movie, or just anything that has anything to do with the creative world, we want 30% of it, even though we have nothing to do with it. We want to control every aspect of your career. 
And none of these contracts that I was seeing or that any of my lawyer colleagues were seeing were things that could, I could advise a client to sign. And, and so I just realized, God, there has to be a better way. And I would read a lot of these record industry books, how to make it in the music industry, you know, kind of books. And there are many of them. And a lot of them all kind of were built around the idea of how, here's how you achieve enough success that you get a record label interested in you. And then, you know, then you become famous. And I would read these and get queasy because I was like, oh my God, wait, we're, we're actually these terrible contracts that I've been reading and I couldn't find a single one that I would advise a client to sign. And these books are saying, yes, you should go that route. In fact, that's your goal. And you know, I just, I said, there has to be a better way. And so I, you know, I spent a, a long time studying record deals, reading over the contracts, reading over all the potential pitfalls with them. And then I also interviewed a ton of independent artists uh, who had achieved success on their own terms. Some were clients, some were not, and asked them, well, how did you do it? How did you use today's music industry tools to do all the things a label does, but still allow you to keep what belongs to you? And I took all that information and I put it in a book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and achieving true success in the music industry. I wrote this book because I care about musicians. They're my favorite kind of people. My closest friends are musicians. I truly love the fact that we have music in this world. And, you know, I often want to do whatever I can to help them. And so it became difficult for me to help only one artist a time at a time as a lawyer. And so I wanted to help more. And so a book seemed to be the way to do it. And then the book begat the podcast. And now we get to talk to musicians every week and boy, I love it. It's great. So that's, that's what inspired me to write it. And uh, boy, that's another 10 bucks right there. All right. Next question. What are your thoughts on Spotify saying that they don't have to pay mechanical royalties on streams? This is a good question. And this is a crazy case. So let me give you guys some background on this question. There's currently a $365 million lawsuit involving Spotify and Frankie Valley and the floor, se floor seasons. How about four seasons? Uh, that's right. The Frankie Valley and the four seasons, big girls don't cry. That's them. Basically, what the plaintiffs in the case were arguing is that Spotify didn't pay them the mechanical royalties that they were entitled to get. So when Spotify uses, plays a song on Spotify, they got to pay certain royalties. They got to pay royalties to, for the actual sound recording, but they also have to pay the people who wrote the song. You got to pay them performance royalties. You got to pay them mechanical royalties to put the song on a you know digital streaming service and send it out and all that stuff. And... There are some folks who allegedly aren't getting their their mechanical royalties. And so one of the things that Spotify tried to argue in the case was that, hey, we don't think we have to pay mechanical royalties. Now, Spotify has been paying mechanical royalties to artists for years. It's been a regular part of what they do. It's generally accepted among the industry that streaming services have to pay, like Spotify, have to pay mechanical royalties. But... One of the things that you have to do when you're in a lawsuit is make every decent argument you can because you're trying to win the case. And so one of the arguments that Spotify thought up was, well, what if we just don't legally have to pay mechanical royalties? Then we would win this case if that was true. So they threw that argument into their case. And what they didn't anticipate is that making a statement like that in a lawsuit might piss off music publishers. And that's exactly what it did. So the National... 
uh, Music Publishers Association, the the NMPA, got to get you know saw what Spotify argued in this lawsuit and said, "Whoa, what the hell are you talking about? You're saying that you don't we don't you don't have to pay all of our music songwriting publishing clients in our organization." Just because you're trying to win this lawsuit, we're the ones who give you all of the material that lets spot you do your thing, Spotify. You're saying you don't have to pay us mechanical royalties? So what instead just became a fight between the two parties in this case, Spotify has now managed to piss off all the songwriters in the world. Uh, and, and, you know, this is just, it's, it's crazy. Um, NMPA put out a statement about all this talking about what they feel about Spotify's legal strategy here and their allegation that they don't have to pay mechanical royalties. They wrote, this is now a fight with all songwriters, not just a conflict with these particular plaintiffs. NMPA will be engaging in the manner and the terms of our choosing, but the one certain thing is that we will win this fight. Spotify's ridiculous argument that it does not owe royalties for mechanical reproductions spits in the face of every songwriter that has made Spotify's business even possible. This has been a settled legal issue for over 10 years. In two previous legal settlements, in the legal filings with Spotify and the Copyright Royalty Board, in the business practices of Spotify and all interactive streamers, and in the public statements of Spotify's own employees. If Spotify does not withdraw this offensive and baseless claim, it will become public enemy number one to the entire songwriting community. Yeah, Spotify's pissed off some pretty important constituents of theirs uh, in an effort to try to win this lawsuit. And I don't know, this is just might just be a matter of lawyers not talking to their clients because the lawyer strategy is we need to throw every argument against the wall that has any chance of winning to maximize our client's chances of winning. But I feel like if they had talked to their clients about this, the client would have said, don't make that legal argument. You're going to make every songwriter in the universe hate us. But here we are. And the question asker who asked what my thoughts are on this, my thoughts are Spotify has screwed up really badly here. This is bad for them for two reasons. One, they made an enemy of the National Music Publishers Association right after they had just settled a lawsuit with this group last year over mechanical royalties. So they just managed to achieve a peace with the publishers and now have managed to piss them off all over again just one year later. And the timing could not be worse because Spotify is trying to go public. They're trying to become a public company. They just, and they just finished getting all the major labels on board. So, you know, remember there's two sides to every music recording. There's the recording side and the songwriting side. You got to make both groups happy. Recording side are the record labels. The songwriting side are the publishers. And and, and Spotify wants both groups to be happy because those are the two groups that supply Spotify with all of its music. And Spotify just finished making the major record labels happy. You know, they've all, they've gotten, they locked up long-term deals with all of them right before Spotify was about to go public. And they're like, good, everything's in place for us to go public. We're going to do just fine. The shareholders, we're going to get lots of shareholders. Everybody's going to want to invest in us. It's going to be awesome. And then right now they've done this lawsuit and now you have the publishers mad at you again. So just when you got the labels happy, now the publishers are mad and now you have to go public and now you have to convince shareholders that this war you've just declared on the entire publishing industry is not going to have an adverse effect on your stock price. Good luck with that. Woo, I'd hate to be Spotify right now. All right, so we we nailed through a few questions there. To close us out for this first segment, we got one more question. We're going to play an answer 
from friend of the show, JP Collio. He's going to ask, he's going to answer a listener question uh, of how important is slick music production for an indie artist before he answers it. I uh, just want to say that he's a great friend of the show. He's super knowledgeable. We've had him on a bunch of times. You should really check him out. Check out his music. He's at JP Collio. That's J P K A L L I O music. Dot com And he also has a great project called Melocity. It's a great collaboration software for musicians. That's Melocity, M-E-L-O-S-I-T-Y.com. Here's JP. My name is JP Collio. I am a musician and also I'm involved in a um, Dublin-based music startup called Melocity, which is enabling musicians to, to find like-minded musicians from a, and work with them anywhere in the world. Ryan, congratulations on the 100 episode, and Dave, of Break the Business Podcast. Absolutely massive, massive milestone and achievement. Um, but I was one of the first ones, uh, I featured in one of the first episodes of your show, and uh, listened to quite a few of your earlier shows, and uh, I understood from the very get-go that you guys really are doing two things, offering value to the musicians, and keeping them entertained at the same time. So it, it is a magical uh, combination and it's no no surprise to me that you guys have been so successful with this. And I can only see going bigger and better with time. So keep at it, keep at it guys. You are absolutely on the right, right stuff. So the question you sent to me was how important is slick music production for an indie artist? And this is one of my favorite topics to give out about so get ready guys as being part of a startup um, I've had to re-evaluate a lot of my thoughts about how music business works as well because a lot of the things are very very relevant what people seem to forget is that music business is also a business so the idea that you go and is you spend years working on your first album making it perfect product uh, is number one crazy number two it's never gonna work out that way what you want to be doing is you know you want to test the market with what they call in a business now MVP minimal viable product so what I would recommend for any artist to do is either put a time aside like weekend and record your first EP album whatever and put stick to that deadline that by the time you get to Monday it is done um, and that's it or even better record one of your live shows and use that as kind of your first album or your first EP or your first release and test the market if people like it if people get excited about it then you have something and then you can go and spend a little bit more time on better quality recording um, but overall my point is very very clear that you know don't get too bogged down on the, the perfection of stuff because very often I hear and see this that artists like polish thing year after year after year after year and it just doesn't get better it just loses more and more of the feeling energy you know put some that genuine live energy into the performance and wow you're gonna have amazing product that's more important than trying to polish like really really you know, really, really slick product. You know, people want real things these days. You know, people want, they want to hear 
who you really are, not what the polished version of you is. That's my take on it. Um, hopefully that's helpful to you guys. And uh, once again, absolutely massive congratulations to Ryan and Dave for, uh, for the 100 episode of Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Hey there, this is Kevin Bruner. I'm the VP of Marketing at CD Baby, and Ryan has asked me to answer a couple listener questions for the Break the Business podcast. So here it goes. Question number one, what are some of the most creative ways you've seen artists build a fan base? Well, that's actually a tough question to answer across the board because we see so many artists come through CD Baby that have uh, different genres, different backgrounds, all sorts of different little niche communities that they can tap into in interesting ways. So if I had to answer that in a broad way, probably the most creative ways I've seen artists reaching out to fans typically have to do with video and how they engage with their audience over video. So a lot of artists now are starting to have great success with things like Facebook Live and really communicating with their fans, whether it be through a live performance or just live interaction on Facebook. I've seen people incorporate that into their live show where the audience at the show can interact on Facebook. So there's some interesting ways that artists are using uh, things like Facebook Live. YouTube has always been something that is a powerful tool and we see artists get really creative with it. One of my favorite ideas is to encourage your fans to create video content using your song so whether you want an official music video or you just want to have a contest with all your fans to see who can come up with the most creative music video i think the artists that are engaging their fan base in creative ways like that are really seeing some cool stuff happen and they're getting some cool content that they can use themselves so Video is definitely some place that if you're an artist that you haven't been looking into, you should. And there's so many cool things artists are doing with video, so check it out. Question number two, how important are stories behind artists and songs in promoting and selling them? If you ask me, the story behind the song and the artist is more important than anything. If you don't have a good story, I don't care how good you are at Twitter, I don't care how good you are on Instagram, Nobody's going to care if all you're saying is buy my music. Taking the time to develop an interesting and intriguing story about who you are and why people should care is more important than ever. We live in a time where there is so much music, there is so much media and entertainment competing for our attention that the things that, that will get people to stop and pay attention to what you're doing is an interesting and intriguing story. Because you need more than people just to stop and hit a play button. You want them to hit play button and you want it to sink in. You want them to come back for more. You want them to feel like this is something bigger than just another interesting song to come across their plate. You want them to become super fans. And the way they're going to do that is if they can feel like there's something more and bigger to what you're doing. 
People aren't looking to be sold something. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for experience. They're looking for engagement. They're looking for a real relationship. And if you can bring those ideas with your music promotion, you're going to see far better results. I hope those answers help. Thanks to Ryan for letting me come on the podcast and answer those questions for you. Thank you, Kevin Bruner from CD Baby, for answering those questions for us. You can check out his podcast, the DIY Musician Podcast, at cdbabypodcast.com. And of course, CD Baby, they they do some pretty good music distribution in their own right. Check them out at cdbaby.com. Quick programming note, folks, uh, he's going to be a guest on the show for an interview in October, so do not miss it. We've had him on before. He was great. We're going to have him on again. Speaking of guests we've had on before... Uh, our mystery musical guest is going to be revealed right now. He is here. Keith Johns, ladies and gentlemen. Our episode 40 guest is back on the Break the Business podcast to help us out with episode 100. Hey, Keith, how's it going? It's going awesome. I'm, uh, I'm quite honored to be the, uh, the surprise guest here. I know. The, I've gotten lots of tweets about it People, because I, I told people it was a former guest, and a lot of people were sending stuff in, and I'm glad we could finally get it revealed. You are one of my favorite guests to have on the show. You're Miami-based, and you're a great part of the music scene down here. It's so much fun to listen to you play. And you've been a really good sport uh, in, during the pre-interview because I told you what we were doing this episode, mm-hmm. this big episode 100 craziness that we're doing where listeners are sending in questions. And for every one of those listener questions that we answer on the air, we're going to donate $10 to Hurricane Relief. I should probably mention, how are you doing? Because you went through Hurricane Irma <laughs> yourself. Are you okay? I'm good. Yeah, I think that's probably the same answer to everybody else. We're, uh, we're good. The people are good. The, uh, the animals are good. The, uh, the yard work is extreme. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of trees, a lot of branches. Uh, but hey, man, you know, I mean, I was, was one of the happiest times. I was like happy that I was renting instead of uh, owning a property through this. It's like one level of like you know, oh no, off my back. So it was, it was good. We got through all right. So the homeowners, we have to like, re- we have to repair stuff. We have to pull fences up. We have to call insurance companies. You're just like, I could get my landlord on the phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, this seems like a problem that uh, it's not mine. So, we got uh, a real mess here, dude. Why don't you come <laughs> over and... Well, when nah, did you get power back? I know that's the uh, big question we ask all the Miami people. Yeah, actually we got power back pretty late because um, we had a big tree right in our front yard that knocked down this power pole, like just right in front of our house. And I could tell that like the people south of me had power... Uh, but the people like and starting at our house going north they didn't so we didn't get power back till like about four or five days ago uh so we were out of power for like nine days um, oh my god but you know it's no. I mean, in a in in a comparison to some other uh to especially like the islands out there i mean some of the islands aren't gonna have power for six months and stuff so it's that, it looks really really bad over there uh, i and you know they just had another hurricane that went through there uh, maria just, oh i hate this time of year so much i know uh, but Speaking of hurricane relief, not only, as I said, we're, we're donating $10 for every question that listeners send in that we're answering, and we're trying to answer as many as we can this week. You have graciously lended your services in helping us answer some of these questions, and we're going to do that in this segment. Absolutely. Because I did not expect to get so many musician questions. I thought they were all going to be you know entertainment law, business mm-hmm. kind of questions that you know, the folks on the show are equipped to answer, but instead we get a bunch of like, well, how do I produce this? How do I play this on guitar? And 
It zoomed about 100 feet over my head. But <laughs> thankfully, Keith Johns is here to help us answer some of these. Yes, sir. Any way that I can make you guys pay more money. You know? That's right. <laughs> Gosh. Um, that's what I, I mean, we as, as we heard with the Kevin Bruner clip, we had a lot of friends of the show who are willing to answer questions for us. And they all just gave the same response you did. Hey, anything <laughs> to make you pay more money. <laughs> But uh, we certainly appreciate it. So I got a few listener questions for you. Absolutely, oh, let's go for it. And I should mention, we are going to have you do a performance. You've been gracious enough to play something for us in honor of episode 100. Yeah. But before we get you to do that, we've got, we've got to squeeze some answers out of you. Let's do it. Um, first one, this is from a, a great listener question here. I primarily play guitar and sing with enough piano skill to peck out a melody. How do I go from a single voice in guitar to a fully produced track, such as with background vocals, strings, bass, keys, etc.? So this sounds like a how do I find collaborators sort of question. How do I move to that next level? Yeah, yeah. So, so you said that they had, uh, they had songs already. They, had the, uh, they, they play guitar and piano. Um, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm imagining they have some songs they've already written. Yeah, they probably plucked out some stuff on their one instrument. Stuff. Okay, so they're looking how to, to build it up into a more of a full uh, band recording. Yeah, so... Obviously, you're gonna need friends, uh, you know, or people you know. There's way, there's definitely websites online to find people. Um, even Craigslist in your area, there's plenty of people that are saying, "I'm looking for a bassist. I'm looking for what." Um, and you'll be surprised how many people. Um, if you get more into like the professional uh, side of things, you're looking for professional musicians. They'll ask for money for recording, but there's plenty of people that um, are just happy to have a hand in a creative process. You know, uh, there's pl- probably other people like you who who just want to have it. You know, play together as a band and, and play music and make something together. So uh, finding, you know, you can go use your social media. I mean, everyone has a, a group of people around them. They can ask for things, uh, which is a, ma- a really cool aspect of the, this day and age. Is you can literally just take five seconds and then pull a question to however many hundreds of people might see it. Um, so, yeah, get, try to grab some people. I think there's also, like, I know there's a few websites that have come out that um, are specifically designed for musicians to find musicians. Uh, I may have to uh, circle back on that. Session players, and yeah, there's a few yeah. of them out there. Yeah, but um, so basically on, on the artistic side of, of the music, uh, I w- what I would say is what we always try to do uh, personally, I always try to start with a drum track. So you have the whole song done. You, usually what you should, should do is record yourself. It's called a scratch, ta- uh, scratch take. Um, get the, the metronome set up to what uh, beat you'd want to you know, play it to, what tempo you'd want to play it to. I, I guess you also have to talk about you, have to, you need like a music recording software like sure. Logic. Or, yeah, DAW and all yeah, that stuff, yeah. yeah. However you want to go about getting that, I won't, uh, (laughs) (laughs) no. So, um, so, and then, yeah, the best thing to do is get the right tempo. Spend a lot of time getting the right tempo because tempo is really important in music. Uh, if you play a song too fast, it loses a lot of, uh, feeling. If you play too slow, people get bored. So just try to find the the most natural tempo, play along to it for like, you know, half an hour or something. Make sure you dial it in, then record your scratch take. It doesn't, don't spend too much time. It doesn't have to be amazing. I guess if you're trying to, um, draw the people into the process, try to you know maybe do a few takes make sure it sounds as good as possible to try to make them excited about it um but then yeah try to for me it was kind of uh, i got lucky because i made some friends who were pretty uh solidified in the miami music scene and so they were they knew a lot of people as well so it was kind of like oh we need this and this and it's like okay well i can at least ask this person and they might know a violinist or something and i just kind of through the different connections i had i was able to find a string quartet a band and these things but um but yeah so i would start with a drum track uh, have them play to your scratch take, scratch take or scratch track, and then um, from there, usually I build it up from the bottom, right? Drums and then bass. But uh, there's there's no real when it comes to writing or recording songs, there's no like right or wrong way to do it. Uh, sometimes you'll find that you want to get the emotion and the feeling there as quick as possible. So 
sometimes we would record drums, but then I would play my part right away so that the other musicians could understand where the track is going. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, just kind of a try to try to find other people, try to find people that are excited. People do a lot better work when they're excited about something rather than just like, oh, I guess I'll do it. Yeah, you know. Let me ask you a follow up question about your own experience. And I preface this by saying that this is my question, not a listener <laughs> question. So, so not we're not adding this to the total to bankrupt me. <laughs> no, this is my own question because you know you're you're primarily a soloist, and I imagine when you started out, it was you and a guitar. Mm -hmm. When did you know? When did you decide that you were ready? to start working on projects that involved multiple musicians? Yeah, uh, I guess it was kind of a, I mean, it felt like in hindsight, it felt very natural. Like kind of this, this like step along, each step was along the way. But uh, I just kind of, uh, from the beginning, I met these guys and, and we just wanted to record some music. They just started a studio and they wanted to record a musician. And so we just were having fun. We were recording tracks and then we're like, oh, this track needs drums for sure. And so you go find a drummer, right? And then this track needs uh, this track needs banjo, you know, and you go find a banjo player or something and you try to just uh, track them down. And this basically try to be as true to the song as you can. I know it's a, a weird thing to say, but think about like the song and like what textures would bring out the most and then just go about trying to find it. If you can't find it, it's not the end of the world. You know, you can still make the song in a different way. But, um, but yeah, for me, it was, there's some acoustic tracks on our, our albums just because the song demands it, right? It's better to be an acoustic solo track. But then there's other ones where you know you have like a, a beat and you're like, this just goes so much better with the bass drum like kicking on every four or whatever. So I don't know, just try to be honest with the song and what it needs. And if you have the resources to do it, then do it, you know, go, just go for it. That was a pretty great answer. We'll make that worth five. <laughs> <All right>. I'm <laughs> uh, honored. <laughs> next listener question here. Um, and this is a great one, I think, to ask you about because you are a musician who is achieving success in a secondary music market, as more and more musicians are. We had a guest on a couple weeks ago who's a guy named Spruik, a really accomplished DJ who's doing some great stuff on Kickstarter. And he's based out of Buffalo, New York. And right. you wouldn't think Buffalo when you think EDM. Right. But he's doing some cool stuff. And so there are more and more artists like you out there, thanks to 21st century technology, who are doing cool things in secondary markets. And so this question is kind of a secondary market question. Hmm. A listener writes, I'm a huge music nerd who recently earned my master's in international management. I want to use my degree to help the arts. I'm in Chicago, where should I work to have an impact on the music industry? Otherwise, where should I move? So this is the, do I go to a music industry hotbed to make it in the business and do things in the business, or can I go in another city? Yeah, um, I think the first thing, kind of what you, you touched on, is that uh, as we you know, progress into this 21st century, location matters less and less. Uh, so much of what happens is online. You can, you can even work with people. Like I, in our first EP, I didn't even meet the drummer face to face. He was in... He was up in New York and it was a friend of a friend. And I mean, I know this isn't on the music, on the management side, but just to, to show like we needed the drum track and we just sent it to him and he recorded and sent it back. So it's, uh, I don't think you should worry so much about where you should be. Uh, I think Chicago is a great place. I mean, Chicago is definitely top five in terms of uh, scenes for music. I mean, you know, LA, Nashville, New York, I would say I would put Chicago. I mean, I guess maybe Portland and Seattle, but Chicago's right up there. And I'm, I've been there a few times and it's got a great uh, music scene, but, um, as far as where you should work or what you should do, uh, it's definitely possible to um, be driven and to just if you want to if you if your specialty is in management, you can go to shows and go find artists and just talk to them. I mean, often the best thing you can do in business in general is find out what you can do for other people, right? Just be nice and and try to offer things, and and then you can call upon them later. Uh, another thought would be maybe if you want to see more of the industry, try to find work for somebody, right? Work for a firm. 
or, or, or whatever it is and, and just see how they operate. Take away uh, what you can in terms of knowledge and then apply it on your own in your own way. Maybe even twist it a little bit, you know, do your own thing. But uh, I think it's just, you know, there's, there's so many different ways. I can't really say I'm, I'm not as good at probably you're better than me at knowing the different positions on the on the business and the management side of things. I'm just an idiot, you know, acoustic guitar player musician here. But oh, uh, You're about to find out just how great of an acoustic guitar player he is, folks, <laughs> coming up a little bit later. Well, I can speak a little bit to it on the business side. As an entertainment lawyer based in a market that you wouldn't necessarily associate with entertainment law, there are plenty of us down here, but you, you know, most entertainment lawyers, you think New York, you think Los Angeles. But because of the way things are now with technology, I have clients all over the country. I have New York clients. I have LA clients. I have all you know flyover country clients. And I can reach all of them very easily with email, with Skype, with Zoom, and all kinds of video conferencing and uh, collaboration software. It's easier than it's ever been. And moreover, my office is becoming more and more virtual. I can work from anywhere in the country as long as I have my laptop with me. And it's a, been a really cool development because it's a lot cheaper to live here than it is to live in yeah. New York or Los Angeles. So I'd like to uh, stick around here as long as I can. There are many, you know, but to give the other side of the argument for the New York and Los Angeles side, there is a lot going on there. But I have seen a lot of artists who start out in a secondary market, conquer that secondary market, do a lot of great things, build a following online, and then eventually... Mm-hmm. go to Los Angeles when it makes sense, when they have something there that they can go to Los Angeles and not just be a tiny little minnow in a very big pond. Right. And so see a transition. You can see a transition to a major market as more of just a natural progression and not, I have to go there with nothing and I'll get something there. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. I think, uh, with those major markets, it's like, I mean, often they can even almost feel saturated, you know, and, mm-hmm. and if you're just a t- like still a relatively unknown uh, little fish in a huge ocean uh, it'll be even harder I think to really get a foot in there you have to play a lot of free shows um, which you know sometimes free shows are like depending on the exposure and stuff it's worth it but you wouldn't want to just do that every single time and it's, it's nice to try to try to get some uh, recompense for your uh, your actions but uh, yeah you're right I think um, having building up something where you are and having just everything it's basically your resume right like a, a on a musician side like a website or whatever it's your resume and how, how many views you have how many listens and all that stuff building that's all um tools in your arsenal and you can then you can go somewhere and have a lot more clout and also maybe you have a little more like you you can go back home and play shows and you have more income that way and stuff but yeah that's uh, i guess that's on more on the musician side than the management side but well, uh well, there's a lot of commonalities there for oh, sure yeah, now speaking of somebody who's doing some cool things in a secondary market how are things going with you lately? I, I see posts on you on Facebook all the time, playing concerts. You seem to have uh, this kind of really cool artist collaboration initiative thing going on in North Miami. You want to tell some of the folks about that because we got some local listeners here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've had a we've had a great year. Um, so we released our, our full length album uh, last October, um, and it it did really well online and stuff. And 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 this is actually the year where I've really seen that. My, like Miami, like our city is really, really warmed up to us. And, um, you know, we're getting to be more of like a name that people throw around and people know of, which is, which is amazing to see. Uh, so these days, I mean, um, we, we're going to, our next moves on the recording side is releasing a few singles, uh, to try to try to buy us some time to get that album out there again. You know, sure. Uh, it takes a long time to record a full length <laughs> album. So, and on top of that, you need to recharge after you release it. I mean, at least I do. Um, but in terms of shows, it's been great. We've, uh, we've been, 
so fortunate to collaborate with these amazing, uh, like you said, these amazing like creative groups and, and, and it's like we go on these, uh, they throw these events. I mean, they're called prison creative group. A lot of people in Miami already know about them. They, uh, they throw these huge events, uh, with artists, you know, like they, they love, they have a huge commitment to local, uh, local art and local crafts. So they'd have like a Miami flea, which is like a flea market where they have a bunch of different artists selling their wares, whatever it is, whether it's clothes or paintings or anything. And that brings a lot of people out and they always have music everywhere. And then lately they've really been um, just digging into the music thing. I mean, we threw a huge concert, uh, uh, I guess in the end of August that um, that was big for us. And I think that um, I think that the reason that it's working out is because we always, I've always been personally committed to being original. Um, you know, we'll play the, we'll play the gig with the half covers or, you know, even more than that just to keep the money flowing. But um, sure. But I always try to like when I go home and I like sit down, I try to always envision what I want to be doing. And it's and it's this more artistic side of things. Um, and I've just been often, you know, if someone tries that and then they just they can't find a gig anywhere because all these, you know, especially like in Miami, it seems there's so many clubs and bars that just want to hear like the the fast paced, you know, the yeah. covers, thing people know, get the play drinks the flowing. hits, get people dancing, right, get the drinks flowing and stuff. But um, so but it seems that there's a contingent of people in Miami that that actually strive for the uh for the original, you know, like a more artistic experience. And, uh, and it's, it's actually amazing to see that market or that not, if I call it a market, I feel bad because it makes it feel like it's just about money, but like that, uh, what's the word that group and that co- yeah. it's like a collective. collective yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's all over my, I mean, it's amazing. And it's, uh, I, I'm actually so proud of, of our city, honestly. Well, having an environment like that, having a space like that for artists is long overdue in Miami. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm glad to see that, you know, you and the folks that you're working with are putting something like that together and really helping it expand. I'm excited for it. It's a, I wish it wasn't so dang far away I from know, where I live, but yeah, I'm willing too. to make the trip uh, for sure. Uh, it's even though it is a bit of a drive because it's just so cool. All right. So uh, I got a twofer here. So ah. I have two listener questions that are kind of in the same. So how much does that cost? That's going to be a twenty dollar. Right? I'm just going <laughs> to add them up. Ooh. But they're they're kind of they're they're similar uh, subject matter. So I'm going to kind of blend them together. Okay. We've been talking a lot about branding mm-hmm. the last few weeks on the podcast. A few weeks back, we had Professor Tanya Butler, the chair of the music industry department at. Berkeley College of Music talked to us about branding. Wow. She's a branding expert. Cheryl B. Englehart came on, I think, the next week after. She's another branding expert. I got to listen to those, man. Some ta- oh, no. You should absolutely listen to those. Those are, those are two of like the coolest guests we've had on, especially Professor Butler. Mm. She's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's <laughs> hilarious. I mean, she's brilliant because she's a you know music industry professor at Berkeley, but she's one of the funniest guests we've had on the show. <laughs> she's a hoot. But... You know, we've so, but we've been on a branding kick, and branding is important uh, for musicians, especially at, if you're an indie artist and you are more in charge of your brand than you would be if you were connected with some major label. But here are the two branding questions that we have for Keith Johns here: Why do you think a musician should give a shit about their brand, <laughs> and what goes into creating a relatable yet distinctive brand for an indie artist? I think we can mush these together. They kind of all yeah. blend. Right, what, do you, what do you think? I could definitely answer the first question. Uh, I've had that same question many times, um, but you do have to give a shit about your brand because uh, here's, here's the way I've come to understand it. Um, you're not going to be fully understood as a person or as an artist, as a musician uh, by anybody like by, or by every single person. Uh, and that's, that's just going to happen. You, you write songs and, and people will get things out of them that you didn't even expect. Uh, but so the importance of branding is to almost like, you don't want to fake it. 
that's my biggest my biggest tip is you don't branding wanna, needs to be authentic yeah I, i've always in my experience with listening to music and seeing shows i always respond to no like i can tell when it's genuine someone's just doing their thing and they feel like it needs to be out there in the world and they're doing it and they're honest so branding so try to you know almost distill what your whole endeavor is and and try to find that um that quality that's it's relatable like they said it's kind of a for instance for us we um i've always had a longing i'm I'm a city kid right i'm born and raised in miami i've always had a longing for the uh for like the countryside and, and for nature and i always try to get out there but it's almost like that has in our sound i didn't want to i didn't want to go full into like trying to pretend to be like someone in, in like you know the hills of west virginia like plucking on their porch because that's not who i am i'm <laughs> As much as maybe I would, I'm jealous and I'd want that kind of. Uh, I kind of want to hear that album. Just yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, I know, I know I'm also I'm also a city kid. I, I mean, it's, it's I'm not a. We we like to not be proud of it, but it's true. And so our sound has kind of become this like, this combination of kind of like urban tones and and reverb and like indie rock almost, but also these like this folk and these like, kind of a little bit of like bluegrass roots. Uh, and you combine that, and that becomes the sound, and that's our image too. And so we're in the thick of miami which is all city and so you try to bring a little bit of that kind of uh more folky more like call to nature and those kind of and so in our in our branding whenever i put up uh any kind of like posters or or images and stuff i I always try to not uh for me it's always been about being honest and being genuine and i try that's honestly i know i know it's hard because you could be honest and be death metal and you could be honest and be you know uh kids bop or whatever it is and uh, sure but uh, just trying to find, it's almost like be the, the best version of yourself, but be a version of yourself. Don't um, try, to, try to lie to people. So uh, whenever we use colors and textures, it's like all about that, right? It's, it's about whether it's burlap or colors of greens and stuff, right? It's, just, it's kind of incorporate what you can. Um, and, but it is really important because you want to basically, when people are out there in the crowd, you're giving them almost like a... Uh, a little example of what you of what represents you it's almost like a little figure you give them and like they can understand that right away and they can get it and they can get this impression then if they want to dive more into you they can get it they can build a much better more sculpted view or, or you know uh understanding of what you do but branding is for the you know you might reach a hundred thousand people for five seconds and your branding is what they they understand and what they react to and so think about it and think about what you want to represent and what you think the world needs. Absolutely. Are you sure you didn't listen to those interviews? Cause I feel like you just stole all their material. Great minds think alike. This is what professor Butler and Cheryl Engelhart were talking about branding. It has to be authentic. Mm-hmm. As you said, you, you know, don't create the brand that you think is going to sell. Cause ultimately you and you yourself is going to be the thing that sells and you want to make that your brand. And the challenge is not, not necessarily coming up with the brand because the brand is you, but finding a way to translate who you are into the brand that you present to the outside world. Professor Butler also talked about how the brand, everything that you do is your brand. Every action mm-hmm. you take, everything you do on social media, the way you comport yourself during live shows, all of that's your brand. And you want to be careful of everything you do out there. And, it's true. And it feeds into the third point that Cheryl Engelhart talked about, which is keeping things consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if your Facebook page kind of projects you one way and your Twitter page projects you another way, 
it gets, you can confuse your listeners. You know, you want to have something that looks clean and sleek and efficient. And this is me and I, and I am me wherever you can find me. Exactly. Right. That's like a pre-prepared, almost like a little pre-prepared like meal, you know, to give someone that just like it has all the elements of what you are and they can fill in the blanks later on, but it needs to kind of represent you in that sense. All right. Last listener question before we have you play, because I'm pretty sure all the listeners are like, oh, just stop having him answer questions. We want to hear him strum. But look, this is hurricane relief, people. I know maybe you haven't had hurricane issues where you are, but some of some of us need the help. Don't be insensitive. I know. Uh, but he's going to play and it's going to and, and it, we're all going to love it. It's going to be great. But before you play, I, you were talking earlier about how you're working on an album. Mm-hmm. You've been working on singles. And so you might be particularly well suited to answer this listener question. Um, they put it, it was a very quickly written question. This person was like, like they were double parked. They just wrote downloads versus CDs, pros, cons. Is it worth printing CDs? Ah, fellow robot. I see. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it's definitely a question that changes. The answer to that question will change every year, every six right? months, right? The, the industry is still changing. It's changed a lot and it's still going. And honestly, you know, you just got to keep your ear to the ground and find out what new things pop up. But at this moment in time, I could tell you with certainty that they're both important. I mean, downloads, Yes, like that's that's the way things are going. Honestly, the way things are going, I think we all know, is like streaming. Streaming, right? As data plans get better and people don't worry so much about leaving Spotify on on their 45-minute drive or something like that. Anyway, so that's where it's going more into that element. But downloads are huge too, um, especially while, you know, cellular data plans aren't so good and stuff, you know. You can, but uh, CDs, there's a, still a bunch of people that just love to have, to have the CD in their hands and see, and, you know, see the the art and the work put into it and just kind of have it in front of you. I know, and you need, I mean, you could sell download cards at shows, but um, I found, I mean, I, I bought, you know, I bought a certain, like, however many CDs when I first, uh, you know, well, released our album, and I was like, oh, man, I'm never going to get through these, like, hundreds of CDs or whatever. Like, this is how I, I'm only going to sell, like, one or two at a show or something. And lo and behold, I had to order more because... Oh, wow. Because people end up buying them. I mean, I think that, especially after a show, it's really good to have because people get really excited about it right after a show and they want to take something home um so you think you'll put out a cd for your next album for sure absolutely yeah i mean at least i mean you you know basically i think cds are important to have how many you order i leave it up to you right uh start with start with 100 right start with 50 or 100 or whatever and see if you sell through them see what the the rate of selling is you know and and then adjust things accordingly um but i i still think that i can just say yeah people still buy them and so i'm happy about it it's a good way to make a you know, another way to make profit. You got to just basically be like an octopus with a tentacle and every single profit, you know, right. Make, make, make it available for every way that your consumers want it. Yeah. And it's going to depend on how your fan base is for sure. Yeah. In some of the younger, younger folks. Right. I mean, not only do they not offer their, their music in CD form, they don't know what a CD is. I know it's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, really it's, it's what, it's what your fans and your genre of music calls for in a lot of ways. And that could dictate whether you make, you know, you you make it available for download. If it's just available for streaming, if you're only just putting your stuff out on YouTube, that might be the way. And heck, I've had artists on this show who their primary distribution mechanism for physical music is not CD, but vinyl. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's even made, that's had a huge rise. And in fact, I'm, I thought I read somewhere that it's like, that they have almost like surpassed CDs in terms of actual uh, like money generated. It's like they've they've had like a revival. Yeah, you know? it's it, I think it's the fastest growing 
physical media of music and, and, and you know yeah. you know as a you know most people don't know this about you but you were a you were a scientist <laughs> in your in your previous life yep. and so you know as a scientist somebody who works with numbers there are a few statistics that are more misleading than the fastest growing of yeah, something because it's, it's like yeah like we sold one you know the industry <laughs> sold one vinyl record five years ago and now they've sold a million vinyl records so yeah it's growing really fast percent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> increase when you talk but, about percentages you can get a real uh real sure. crafty yeah but yeah but you know, not not knocking it though. Like a lot of musicians are using are, are are doing at least some effort on vinyl. It's it's kind of a dangerous game to play because the upfront costs are so much more than yeah. with a CD. You, know, you can't just make them in your house. No, <laughs> like, I mean, no, I mean, maybe not. <laughs> so you you got to make sure it's something that your listeners want before you yeah. go down that road. But there are musicians who are doing it. So it really depends on your particular situation. What route you want to take with how you put music out yeah and that's actually i'm, I'm gonna just add on to that like the reason why vinyls are, are coming back i mean first of all there's like this uh desire i think for like the retro stuff coming back in i think you know things coming in and out of fashion but also the same reason as cds people like to have it's not only a way to play music but it is like a you know a souvenir like a, a little memorabilia thing and especially with vinyls you can i mean vinyls look awesome what you can do with the colors and stuff like that on them and the sleeves and everything and so you know, people want that. It's it's not only just music that you can play, but it's also something that just really is pleasant to look at and hold and show around, you know? Yeah, it looks, you know, nice and big so you can put it on yeah. your wall and you know, let people know how interesting you are. I would love to, to cut a vinyl at some point, but uh, yeah, you're right. The overhead is a little scary, so we're well, going to wait. I feel like your music would be well-suited for I know. vinyl. I would love to hear it on a vinyl, for, that's for sure. Well, we would all like to hear it on this podcast. <laughs> so here's here's what I'm thinking. How about... I'll sort of filibuster for a little bit here. <laughs> I'll just, I'll talk about, you know, kind of what we're doing with this podcast. You get your stuff set up and uh, we'll, we'll play something for everybody as a way to celebrate episode 100. Heck yeah. All right. I'll get, cool. I'll get going. Start the filibuster. You have the floor. Thank you very, very much. Um, well, I am just so excited that we've, we've already made it this far in the podcast. We have more listener questions that are going to be answered by people who aren't me, which means you'll probably enjoy the answers more. DJ Spruik in the next segment, a friend of the show, is going to answer some questions about uh, what non-musical things indie artists need to do to get to succeed in their career. We also have a listener question that's going to be answered by Suzanne Paulinski, the rock star advocate. She's going to talk a little bit about things that indie artists spend too much time and effort on. Suzanne Polinski is super awesome. She is going to be hosting the Musicpreneur Mindset Summit. That's a three-day conference for musicians designed to help creatives network and build their careers. That's in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, September 28th to 30th. And she's going to be on this podcast in next week's episode, and she's super, super terrific. Have I filibustered sufficiently? Have we... I think I'm ready. Yes. All right. I'm excited. Can you tell the folks a little bit about this song, yeah, the sure. title, and you know what they're in for? Yeah. Uh, so I thought about what song I wanted to, to play for this one, but I guess uh, this one I've really been liking lately, so I just wanted to share it. Uh, it's it's brand new. Um, you know, you can't find any albums or anything like that yet, but it's definitely going to be on the next one. Uh, and it's, um, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't like to get too specifically political uh, in my my songs, but every now and then as a folk you know, artists, you gotta, you gotta dig in a little bit and kind of... Genre sort of calls for it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> uh, it's instead of... Whatever. So, so this one's actually, it's called uh, Be The Light, um, and it's really just about the the link between parenting. Uh, uh, I don't have any kids right now, but I mean, I'm looking at it. I, you know, I recently got married, and I know that it's probably coming down the line, so I've, I've been thinking a little bit about it. Um, 
but it's about parenting and, and bringing your kids up to be try to instill within them this sense of courage, the sense that they're capable, uh, and how that would be linked to the, like maybe if, if our generation can't fix all the problems that are around, which there are certainly many problems, uh, at least you can pass the torch, kind of pass this thing, this torch on to the next generation, and try to give them, arm them with the the personality and like the the belief that they can actually change the world and make it a better place rather than you know cutting them down and stuff so it's kind of the link between parenting and what the next generation can do setting them up for success in a sense all right i'm excited keith johns take it away all right to show me a child countless wonders to see and touch but remember above all else you are loved you are loved you are loved
Thank Keith you, thank you, thank Johns, everybody. Keith, that was magnificent. Oh, thanks so much. Oh, man, the 100% real, not fake at all studio audience really enjoyed it, too. <laughs> I know. They're, they're too kind. I mean, they're just so nice. <laughs> wow, 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 Keith. I mean, I I hear you play. I've heard you play, of course, out in Miami's music venues. I've heard you play on Facebook. I don't know what it is about if I'm just in the room. You and maybe it's kind of different when it's just here in the room. But, oh, my goosebumps, man. Oh, thank you. So yeah, to be good. honest, I mean, that's how it started, right? It's just I, I'll always uh, love just playing acoustic. And in a, in a, especially in like, I mean, you know, in a small room, if there's like 10 people around, that's like that's my thing. You know, that's what I love the most. So I know a lot of people are going to be asking this now. So let me just get it from you right now. Where can people find your music and find you on social media if they're interested in hearing more? Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, you can find us basically anywhere you can find music. Um, I recommend Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com slash Keith Johns Music. I recommend Spotify. Uh, you can just type in Keith Johns. It should be around there somewhere. <laughs> uh, and then Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Instagram would just be uh, slash Keith Johns. Um, my website's keithjohnsmusic.com. And uh, I, I guess you see the trend going here. But uh, really, you can <laughs> a pattern just, for sure. You know, if you're interested, just throw throw it in Google. Um, and whatever, find find whatever is best for you, right? I mean, what we've been talking about today in terms of branding and and, and different music mediums is we always just try to meet you wherever you're at, the listener, right? So, however you want to interact with the music, you choose, and I'll do my best to keep it up any way possible. You're an unreal talent, Keith, and it's oh, great so to have you here in Miami. Before we let you go, and we really don't want to, but uh, we got so many more questions to answer and you know, money to be taken out of this podcast pocket. <laughs> Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yeah, and it kind of draws back into what I was saying about the branding, but I, I think that um, the number one thing I'll always say is just think, you know, just be honest and think about who you are and think about what you want to see and, and do your best to just be that. And, uh, and you'll find that if you're, if you're desiring something in the world, there's probably a lot of other people out there that desire the same thing. And, and then, uh, as far as like actual tips you could take home, right. It would be, uh, it's kind of true for any business, but, um, be, be very, like I said before, actually on this podcast right now too, be very nice to people. I mean, I always make a point every time I go to a venue and anytime I go anywhere related to business, just, just, you know, look people in the eye, smile and, and just and be easy to work with, be on time and be nice. And you'll be amazed at actually how far that gets you and how many people don't do that. Um, some people walk up, you know, like they own the place and that they're better than everybody else. And no one wants to hang out with that person. So, <laughs> you know, what, just that, you know, be honest, be nice, uh, be driven, um, uh, take time for yourself. Um, keep yourself inspired as well. Uh, take time to read, listen to other music, uh, you know, because it's kind of a that's you can't give anything unless you take stuff in so i don't know that's all kind of vague but that's what i that's what i was bouncing around my head so there you go very good sage advice <laughs> keith thank you so much for being here this yeah. week for helping us get episode 100 out there all right you're the best uh we'll be right back on the break the business podcast right, thanks ryan Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Hi, I'm Spruik, and a listener asked Ryan, what non-musical things do you think independent musicians need to get smart in to have a career? 
Uh, I think this is an interesting question in that it implies that musical things are most important um, when actually I would consider them down towards the bottom of the list. You need to be smart emotionally in the skills of vulnerability and putting yourself in your listener's shoes. So you need to be good at social media, but not just tricks and hacks, but actually maintaining a real social media presence, like being yourself and being vulnerable, talking to people about who you are. And if you're going to post on Instagram, posting a dozen photos of just yourself being yourself every day so that people are actually paying attention and interested when you post a photo of us setting up for our show or the like. You also need to be smart with money and the law, because taxes are a pain and rights are hard as hell. So I do recommend finding yourself a good entertainment lawyer. Uh, I happen to know one. He might be on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, And finally, the other thing that uh, is non-musical that I think an artist really needs to stay up to date with is not forgetting what it's like to be a fan. Um, Remembering to fanboy. When you're an artist, you can sometimes think that now you're on the tier of the performer, and so you're not like a fan anymore. But it's even more important to be a fan when you're an artist. You need to fall in love with the artists you most respect and give them all the adoration that you kind of want people to give to you because you're in this for the music. And that is how connections and collaborations will happen. I don't mean go on Twitter, find your favorite artist, and just butter them up. But I am talking about um, just remembering what it's like to be the person who listens to the music, not makes it. And I think you'll find that if you're really into a community, like you find a certain corner of the world very interesting, and you actually just do fan very hard on it, whether that community is competitive Overwatch, or knitting, or triathlon runners, or something, Getting real into that will be an authenticity that shows through um, when you actually come time to make music and discover your niche. All right, our thanks to DJ Spruik for that fantastic answer. He's a true friend of the show, two-time Break the Business podcast guest. Be sure to check out his website at www.spruik.net. Some cool, interesting music there. He's doing a lot of artistically daring things and a really knowledgeable guy. He's given some of the best advice we've had on this show during interviews. And now to the business at hand, I welcome back our favorite co-host. He is here. Dave, what's up, Dave? Hey, everybody. Happy 100 episodes. Woo! It's, you know... I don't know why I was forced to sit in the corner in silence this whole time. You know, maybe maybe it has something to do with the strike of the characters uh, like a month ago. It's it's, it's really been progressing here. Um, It's it's so good. Like, bottom of my heart, really good to see you. You, you know, had the storm experience, too, although you evacuated. Yeah, yeah, I got the hell out of Dodge. Which was both brilliant, but... Also not very courageous yeah. to not kind of brave the storm with the rest of us. Yeah. Do you have any crazy evacuation experiences, stories? Was the traffic just brutal? Uh, yeah, a, a bit. I mean, it took me 15 hours to get to Fayetteville, North Carolina, where probably I would have made it to Maryland by that point. So I had to spend the night over. But uh, yeah, there's a it, the evacuation definitely showed the 
problem with the infrastructure in the state of Florida is there are only three main arteries out of the state, I-75, I-95, and the Florida Turnpike. But, uh, you know, other than that, it was all right. Yeah, I mean, we're a peninsula. There's one direction out of town. Our roads aren't that great. And so whenever we get a hurricane like this where everybody has to get out of Dodge, it's a yeah. mess. But, you know, yeah, I saw the videos. The uh, next time I worked downtown, uh, the, the, the Biscayne Boulevard right in front of my office was a river. It was an absolute uh, sea. Oh, I couldn't believe that. I downtown think, covered yeah, in water. Yeah, it was a navigable canal. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm that is probably has nothing to do with climate change. No, no, like, no, no, no. Just one of those things, man. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you have a once-in-a-thousand-year storm like Harvey, sometimes the thousand-year then starts, like, right after that. That's right. Because it could be... Harvey could have been at the 999th year and, like, 364th day or whatever. So you have your, you your thousand-year storm, right? Yeah. But then the very next day starts our new thousand years. So when you, right. have, you go straight from Harvey to Irma a storm that was like heretofore never seen so powerful that see, that's the thing. It's so like it's, two bookends, you know, exactly. And what I, I can only assume this means is that we're not going to be hit with anything for like 1800 years. And it's not like Puerto Rico can tell us anything about Maria because they have no power. I, I don't know why. Yeah. It's weird. Like the, the whole place just turned all the lights off sh- randomly. Shut down. <laughs> Hopefully if you have any listeners in, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like they, I, got, I feel I, like they have better things to do right now than, yeah, like, I got, well, I got a friend of mine that is trying to figure out where her family is. You can't, a lot of people can't get in contact down here in Miami oh with God. their families in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Um, does Elite, can, does Elisa have uh, families still down there? She might. I got to ask her. Okay. Friend, friend of the show, Elisa. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, so uh, my whole thing is hey, you know, I, I appreciate your thoughts and prayers, everybody. I, I really do. But I also would appreciate you holding your politicians accountable for science and climate change. That's just a personal message from David over here. Not represented the show necessarily. I want to put that caveat on there. But, mm, you know, looks like the world is changing. A little bit. You know, I actually, when I went up to New Jersey, one of the funny thing was, mm. so obviously it was hot down here and humid, right? Because it was feeding like one of the most powerful storms ever. You know what the low was overnight on September I think like ninth or whatever it was when I got up to New Jersey. Right. Yeah. Tenth. Forty-eight degrees. Really. September. Oh my God. Yeah. So I go up there. It's. It didn't really feel that cold to me, but like the temperature readings were like it was cold in September. And I, I, cause I, when I was packing, I'm like, should I bring a jacket? No. Why would I bring a jacket? It's fucking September seventh. Yeah. In New Jersey, it's summertime still. It's not like a jacket. Nope. It was. <laughs> started to get cold. So that. So cold up north a bit, uh, powerful hurricane over here. The west coast is on fire. Nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Yeah, just everything's great. Oh yeah. my god! But you know, thanks. But all those thoughts and prayers are just making it all better. Absolutely, Ryan. You got my music handy anyway. Oh, I I didn't I didn't know we were wait. Okay, yes. Live from the Brown Derby in Hollywood and Vine in sunny and beautiful Hollywood, California, it's Dave's Movie Minute. Come on in while we discuss motion pictures, stars, and all the goings on around town. I can't all believe right. I had that queued up. I didn't even tell him. Uh, the union must be working today. All right. They finally got in. I'm so glad to see you, Movie Dave. Thank you, and good to see all of you fine folks out here. Hopefully you've been out and about seeing motion pictures and supporting our stars out there. Well, it was the only thing we could do in Miami for a couple days with the hurricane hitting is the movie theaters were open first. That's right. Actually, you know, Ryan, I've been a little upset that the state of film has not been great in August and September. 
Not that many great releases. I hear Mother is completely, totally insane. Yes, that's... With a particularly disturbing moment at the end of it. I heard what it was, and I have no desire to see it. (laughs) Do you know? No. Oh, boy. But it's a Darren Aronofsky movie, isn't it? Yeah, but it's no wrestler. (laughs) Like, all of his movies are kind of a little insane. Like, he did Requiem for a Dream. That movie still gives me nightmares to this day. Oh, crap, you're right. He did. <laughs> he did, yes. I remember we watched that in college. I think it was for a psychology class I had or someone. And uh, I I really needed to watch some sort of screwball comedy after that because <laughs> I did not feel good. Really played with our, with our 20-year-old minds. Yeah, that, that movie. Or we weren't even 20. We may have been 19 still. Way too young to be watching that movie when we were still impressionable. But he did that one. He did Black Swan. That movie was also like he does. He does. He has a lot of disturbing on his resume. You know what? You're right. That was a weird thing. Why <laughs> did she think she was a swan? I don't know. The whole point seemed to be ballerinas and such. And a uh, oh god, what's her name? Oh, Mila that's Kunis. A, now Mila we Kunis. Yeah, yeah. You know. Spoiler alert. Maybe she wasn't there the entire time. Could have been a Fight Club situation, but with ballet. <laughs> I think we have a new kind of segment here where you review movies as this character, and it just ends with you always going, I don't know. Ryan, in future movie news, yeah, okay. the bros are upset. Why, Ryan, kind of like a Ghostbusters, they're going to say, we don't need a female Santa Claus. Hollywood <laughs> liberals are trying to invade everything. That's right, Ryan, because Variety reports that Billy Eichner is going to be joining Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader in Disney's female Santa Claus film, Nicole. It's just called Nicole. It's called Nicole. <laughs> Obviously a play off St. Nick. Oh, right. Yes, of course. Nicholas it sort of makes you wonder. Do we even know Mrs. Claus' name? No, we don't. Maybe we'll finally find out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, oh, movie rolls around. About this one. Movie rolls around Santa's daughter, presumably the titular Nicole. I love how Variety even says that. <laughs> who was forced to take over the family business when the father retires and brother ends up getting cold feet prior to his first big Christmas Eve flight. Icon's role is unknown at the time. Probably going to be something that yells. Yeah. That Probably maybe a, an angry elf. Fits the profile. Yes. So, like I said, film will probably be hitting theaters November 8, 2019. Look for all sorts of mad people saying, you know, we, we love our daughters, wives, and mothers, but goddamn, if they can't do a job a man can. That would so be like this group to just lose their mind over... Oh God! I'm, all right, if kids, kids, if you're listening, walk away from the podcast. Five, four, oh, three, to no. one. Oh no! What are you doing? Oh, I can't. I can't say that. Just move on. The union will take you away, okay. boys. A, okay, getting mad over a perfectly real character that absolutely exists, kids. Okay. <laughs> Boy, That's right. Oh, I just I'm glad I avoided that minefield. Right. I believe there's some questions yes. in this here show, which has been. Probably going on now. We're checking the time. Probably maybe like an hour without me. We have we're we're in our ninetieth minute. This is oh, this oh. is getting to Jerry Lewis telethon proportions. All right. Um, yeah, we're answering questions for Hurricane Relief. We're donating ten dollars for every question answered. I'm sure the people on strike are super thrilled about that. That more funds are being diverted away from their payment. But here we go. Um, we got actually got a question for you here, Dave. We'll we'll, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll get to that one. You what know, do you mean we'll get to that one? You've had all the other questions. Give me the Mina question. You want the you question? Yeah. But but then but I kind of wanted to space it out cuz now you're going to like get your question then just nothing but music business questions. You don't want to kind of space it out and you just want to go right to yours. What do you want to do? How dare you cast aspersions on a union man? All right, all right, all right. You think unions are, are no show jobs? I mean the vast majority in New Jersey, yes, of course, but for reasons <laughs> we won't get into. 
<laughs> and, and and New York State and all that. But uh, hey, that, that's your beef with them, mister. Right. I, I don't recommend you dig it up with them. All right, you want to go straight to yours? I do whatever you want. All right, you know we're going to do straight deers. Fine. All right. And you're just going to sit around and listen to a bunch of questions that aren't questions for you because you didn't space it out. Fine, then do the other ones first. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right. Okay, question. As a studio musician on a work-for-hire basis, are there royalties I might be able to collect? You're actually going to like this one because there's a union answer to this. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm going to assume for the purposes of this question that the person asking is not a songwriter, and so we're not talking about any songwriting royalties here. So let's talk about if you're a session musician, you know, you're not, the, you know, you're not like you don't own the recording. You're just helping out with the job. What kind of royalties could you get? Well, if you are a member of a union and you're working as a session performer on a union project, you could be eligible for royalties through your union, which would either be the AFM, American Federation of Musicians, or if you're a vocalist, it would be SAG-AFTRA. And you can get and um, that's a good one. Yeah, they're, they're, they're quite good, especially, you know, SAG and AFTRA, both good in their own right. Then they merged together and became a super union. And you can get un royalties directly through that union, through your session work. And if you are on union and you are, you could also get a small piece of sound exchange royalties. Um, sound exchange, those are royalties played uh, for internet radio, passive internet streams of songs. They take a tiny portion of that sound exchange money. I think it's like 5%. And that goes toward union payments for session performers on projects. So that's if you're union. If you're non-union and you worked on the project, most likely whatever you get paid up front is what you're going to get. But it's going to depend on the terms of the specific contract when you started the work. Maybe you negotiated some kind of union or not union royalty deal for yourself on the back end. A lawyer can help you sort that out more. Now, if you're a featured artist on the project, so not... Um, you know, not just a regular session musician, but you're the featured artist, you're the main person on there, most prominent person on the song, you could be getting a large share of sound exchange royalties, but in the question, the person said that they were a studio musician, so I'm kind of thinking they're more of just a bit player. They're, they're more like Wolfman at the end of that thing you do, and they're not Jimmy. That's right. <laughs> Wolfman, too scary. Yeah. Wow. Nice reference. Yeah. Was Wolfman the bass player in that? Yeah, after... Uh... What's his face goes off for the Marines. And just like left, right? Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember the character's name? Before Wolfman. Yeah. No. Do I know what he's in the credits? Yeah. TB player. <laughs> it's awesome. Mm -hmm. You're quite the that thing you do scholar. Um, did you know that uh, in the original cut of it, Tom Hanks's character is gay? Yes. Isn't that crazy? It kind of sheds a whole new light on all of the, you know, you look good in red, you look good in yellow. Yeah, I haven't, because I haven't seen that director's cut. It's longer. People people say it actually makes the movie better and shorter. A director's cut makes the movie shorter? Yeah, like, I don't know, just like, it's it's apparently here. Like, it feels so much, like, shorter. I mean, there's, I don't know, it's actually a director's cut that does something good. No. I mean, Tom Hanks can do no wrong, so that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Question. What are the licenses needed to include a song in a podcast? Same question for a live stream and a non-YouTube video. So, uh, Class D. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Yeah. Perfect. Nailed it. Next question. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, general point. So let's start with the general point here. If you're going to use a recording of a song in something like a podcast or a streaming video, if you're using the actual recording, you need to clear both the rights to the recording itself as well as the original musical composition. Those are two separate copyrights. And in nearly all cases, you're going to need to clear the rights to both. Whether it's podcasts, live streaming, non-YouTube videos, 
You have to clear both rights, which means actually going to the copyright holders directly or getting the proper clearances by using a licensing services. I like easy music licensing. They do it all online, makes your life a lot easier. Mm. But you got to clear both. You cannot rely on going through a PRO like ASCAP or BMI. A lot of people think, oh, if I have the ASCAP or BMI license, I'm good. Or if I get the mechanical rights through Harry Fox Agency, I'm good. You're not good. Those agencies don't give you all the licenses you need for those platforms. Uh, they only cover a limited you know, limited scope of licenses. The only way to get the licenses you need for those particular uses that the questioner asked about, podcasts, live streams, non-YouTube videos, is to get permission from both copyright holders for your particular use. When I when we have podcast when we have sound recordings on the podcast, we always when we play like an artist song. We always get the artist's permission first. We have a long discussion with them, and we always make sure that the song that we're playing is an original of the artist. We're never going to play a cover, for example, because while the artist might own the rights to their sound recording, they don't own the rights to the musical composition, so we don't use those for our podcast. Yeah. I, listeners, I wish you could sometimes see the behind-the-scenes of what happens to uh, get the, uh, the artist's permission. It uh, involves sometimes, you know, it's just sometimes some of the artists are nice, and you know they let us play the song, and sometimes Ryan... You know, gets out the car battery and you know the, uh, the the cords and all that, and starts doing the thing where you touch them to get the sparks and everything. And there's, uh, you know, there. Uh, listen, I'm not saying that break the business is on Amnesty International's watch list. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but that's what you're saying. All right, here's the Dave question. Okay, you you held out. You survived. You you sat through the boring music business questions. You made them hilarious. Now your reward is a Dave question that is going to count for Hurricane Harvey relief. Question for Ryan and Dave. What is each of yours favorite Dave segment on the podcast? Mine is Metal Minute, Metal Dave. And they added three exclamation marks at the end. So it's mine is Metal Minute, Metal Dave. So I think they just wanted me to go through the indignity of having to tell you. Thank you, listener. Sorry, I don't have it up. Wow. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Give me a second. Give me a second. Wait, 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 wait. I want to get my union on you. Wait, wait, wait. All right, do it again. Nope, the moment passed. Oh, come on. I have the... the Fine. Do Thank the, you, listener. You should do it you for the question You have great asker. taste. By the way, I think Ryan's $10 donation should be upped a little bit. Do I know how, many, how much we should donate per question, Ryan? How much? That would be very cost prohibitive for this podcast. You know, speaking of unions, because we've been talking a lot about this lately, you know, I actually joined a a local union myself. Oh, is that right? Yes. What what union would that be? Well, it's obviously HGL Local 666. HGL? H-E-L. Oh, of course. Oh, right, right. Sorry, sorry. Missed that. Very clever. Clearly, the the Q-tip union's not doing its job for you. Well, I appreciate that, listener. You know, we here at Dave's Metal Minute, we love bringing uh, metal to the masses. Now, I would actually like to play the music for you, uh, and maybe there's a way we could play the songs, given the uh, licensing procedures uh, the host here just, you know, used, but for some reason we haven't decided to use it yet. You know, what's up with that? What, that we're not... Are you saying I should be... Silence, Ryan! Okay! I didn't ask you a question. Oh, that was just more of a statement at me. Got it. Yes! 
By the way, I'm really loving all the job you do here torturing music uh, artists. I don't for... torture artists for their for the clearances. I <laughs> I ask them nicely and they and they you're, loved it and they're happy to do it. You're, you're right. I agree with you. Wink. <laughs> no, no, no. This isn't. No, stop playing that. This is not a wink scenario. I we don't torture people here. No, I don't know. Anyway, I think my favorite segment would probably have to be it's you know. They've, they've sort of changed as the show has gone. There used to be a game show that we used to play. I haven't played in forever called Dave's As Yet Untitled Game Show. That used to be a lot of fun back in the day. But uh, Canada Dave is really great. Oh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that, eh? You know, I, 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 I right, you know what? I'm a little hurt, buddy, that you just, have you said, you haven't answered yet, have you? No, I haven't. Okay, so what's your answer, eh? Do you really want to know, or is this, is this, are you going to actually entertain my answer, or is this the setup for a joke where I'm going to start talking and then Metal Dave's going to go, Silence! What's because because I this fool never answers the questions, be, guys. Why are we dealing? Because with I do have an answer, Quebecois Dave. But do you actually want to know my answer? Is my question, or is this just going to be the setup for a joke? What in our entire history together makes you think I would make a joke about anything? You make a joke about everything. Okay, I'm going to tell you because it's it's off the board. You know, we haven't done this segment in a while, but it is very much my favorite because I think it's the best piece of imaging we've done. Oh. And it's Dave the Ultimate Arbiter. Can I play the imaging for it real quick? Because it's one of my favorite pieces. You don't, you don't. Oh, yes, go ahead. Okay. In these difficult times, one man has the courage to fight for what's right. We are living in a society. Society has rules. He'll make the tough decisions so that we can live in a civilized world. And let Dave be the ultimate arbiter. If he finds out that you reserved a parking spot by standing in it, you'll suffer his wrath. That's against the rules of the parking lots. All rise for Dave, the ultimate arbiter. It's, it's been so long. Yeah. By the way, new listeners are like, what the hell is that about? We explained that like 50 times already in the past. That's up to you to go to the early episodes that are online because not, we're not behind a paywall or anything. That's up to you to download and figure it out. I'm done explaining that. You don't want to explain no, 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 the no. parking lot thing or the Arbiter thing or none of it? No, 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 the parking lot thing. The Arbiter thing. Yeah, do, oh, wow, we haven't had a case in a while. I know. Like, listeners, this was one of the funniest segments we did on the show where David basically settles your dispute or answers a question. He's the ultimate arbiter, and it's really, really funny. We get to play this imaging. I mean, I guess technically, it, can we bring up implied disputes? We can do whatever we want. Whatever excuse we can get to play the funny imaging okay. and to have you arbit stuff. Okay, okay, because there's been some confusion lately out there. And I think people, they want Dave the ultimate arbiter to know. Okay, right? cool. And there are people also maybe internationally that honestly don't know. It's like, Dave... I've been hearing a lot of stuff, and like we're we're trying to figure out what's going on. So to clear it up, I just want to you know say yes. The text of the First Amendment does say Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So that is there. Okay, okay. There was some confusion. I was a little, I mean, because I, th I heard some stuff lately made me think, did we abolish that at some point? I, yeah, there was, there's been a lot of confusion amongst uh, people lacking in vitamin D that um, <laughs> it, it, you're, you're, there, there are certain things you just can't, you can't say, mm. like you can't do, because mm. it's like illegal or something. Yeah. So 
That that's actually wrong. This has been on the books since 1789. Really? Yeah, but it's buried, bro. It's buried. Yeah. I mean, if it, I mean, if it was like right at the beginning, maybe people I, would know it. But. Yeah, because you think one is usually important. Mm, yeah. But I know for a lot of people, sometimes like number two is important. Like right. silver medals are the really big deal. That's what everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's you know what you don't want to be first. Well, I mean, you and I both took con law. When we were in college, it's a required or law school. It's a required course, and and I'm pretty sure your con law professor, as mine did, told you that of the first ten amendments, the only one that matters is that second one. We just ignore the other nine. And actually, number three is pretty important too. We don't want you know soldiers getting quartered in our house or anything. That's ridiculous. But yeah, you also know who took a con law class. <laughs> con law. Yeah, con man. <laughs> oh, I don't have the drums here. Sorry. Wow. Sorry. Hang on. That's a, no, no. You don't have to. Is it normally? Yeah, this is funny how you're actually like. Uh, Hang on, it's in here. Do, 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 it's in here on your it's brand new iPhone. It's in here. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like political, Dave. This is. This oh, is, I've been shying away for it because I wasn't sure how much how what you feel about it. Well, I did a I mean I did a whole rant a few weeks ago on the show where I just ripped the Arpaio part, and so I think I think we've popped the cherry at this point on See Stevie political Wonder, talk. Uh, took two knees. Really. Yeah, there was like one of the like a, a music festival up in New York, and Stevie Wonder uh, took a knee. Oh, that's awesome! Or actually, well, two knees. Like he went down. Yeah, two. All the way down. All right. Yeah, and he said, uh, "I hate to see the country torn apart." And then Bomani Jones was like, "Ah!" <laughs> Can you want to explain the Bomani Jones thing? <laughs> it's a ESPN uh, radio uh, host thing. Uh, this uh, host Bomani Jones has a theory that Stevie Wonder can totally see and has been playing everyone. By the way, he, I I just made up that quote thing. He didn't actually say us for the joke. Oh, okay. Oh, very good. Just in case Stevie Wonder's a rep, sir. Yeah, listening. right. Yeah, they're, 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 they're pit bulls over there. All right, we have a, another question here that we don't have to answer, thankfully. Uh, the question is, what are some of the things you believe indie artists spend too much time and effort on? We're not going to answer this one because answering this one for us... Yeah, no, we're not going to answer this one because we oh, hate this question. I thought it was just like... It's like yeah, we're not going to answer this, you stupid idiot. Yeah, I don't want to pay another $10. No, no, no. We're answer Because answering this one for us is a fantastic music industry consultant, Suzanne Polinski, the rock star advocate. And here's what she had to say on the subject. Hello, this is Suze from the rock star advocate. Something that I think indie artists spend too much time and effort on are quick fixes. So we get really impatient about reaching our goals and... We have this kind of shiny object syndrome where we're promised a whole bill of goods and we don't do our research on it and see if it's the right fit for us. So we jump at it anyway, hoping that that'll be it. Or you get your mind focused on whatever is going to get me in front of a label head or label executive because that's what I need and that's what's going to solve all my problems. And, and just thinking that anything is going to quote unquote solve all your problems. You know, even if we reach our milestones or our definition of success our problems are never fixed right there's always new problems to deal with it it's never going to be a truly easy road um so you want to enjoy the journey and if you're always looking for the quickest fix or trying to kiss up to the person that you think is going to have all the answers you're really missing out on connecting with people that are in the business that maybe know they don't work with anybody famous but they're making a full-time living off of their work or they have years of experience in the business um, that can help you and so when you get tunnel vision and you think well if I just you know meet this one person they're they're gonna be the magic ticket to get me to where I need to go I mean I've definitely 
had opportunities to work with really big people and I thought, oh my goodness, this is it. And maybe I get to work with them and it's great, but it's not gonna just make my company magically, you know, go to the next level. You can't get anywhere without hard work, professionalism, being respectful, and being kind to those around you. So never give up those things and get so tunnel vision that you disrespect the people around you or flake out on other commitments because you think this next big thing is gonna be it. Enjoy the journey, put in the work, and always keep reassessing your goals to make sure that the work you're doing is helping that goal. Don't be afraid to change paths. If your goal has changed, then change what you're doing. Don't keep going down a certain path just for the sake of going down it so you could tell people you stuck with something. You know, stay open and stay respectful and stay professional at all times. Good luck. Thank you, Suze, the rock star advocate for that fantastic answer. On September 28th, folks, Suzanne is going to be hosting the Musicpreneur Mindset Summit, a three-day conference for musicians designed to help creatives network and build their careers. It's in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, September 28th to 30th. Find out more about it by visiting therockstaradvocate.com. And she's going to be joining the podcast on next week's episode. So we're excited wait, for wait, that. Wait, 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 wait. Where is this summit? In Delaware. <laughs> I knew you were going to... I knew this... <laughs> I'm getting pretty good at detecting the stuff that you're going to want to make fun of. So say it, say it again. Rehobo Beef Beach, Delaware. You didn't say it that way. For first, you had you had some sort of like Tolkien-esque like Rehoboth Beach. I, I had I wanted to add a little bit of a uh, a verbal flourish. I said Rehobo Beef Beach. Delaware. Why are you? It's kind of hard to say. Now you're making. Now you're a Spaniard. Before you were helping Frodo and Sam along on the way to Mordor. Now you're now you're a Spaniard. I'm 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 a real Renaissance man, Dave. You you knew that when you met me. You're, no, you're Renaissance man. Renaissance, Renaissance man. You know, speaking of which, uh, Assassin's Creed was on HBO last night, so I decided to watch it because I didn't see it in the theaters. Was, yeah, it was kind of weird. Yeah, that's why I heard. Uh, it, 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 you can all of a sudden tell at the end they're like, "Oh shit, we're probably not making a sequel to this movie, so we need to tie up the loose ends." How much time we got? Ten minutes. Fuck. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, go. We, we just gotta go. We just gotta. Get, get, get rid of these excise 20 pages in the script right now in Act 3. We got to go. <laughs> oh, speaking of movies, and this is a callback to a previous episode, you made fun of me for at least an episode or two because you saw Kong Skull Island, and I never saw it, and I told you I didn't have any interest in seeing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it a couple nights ago. It was fantastic. I was completely wrong. I should have listened to you. It was a great oh, movie. Oh, great. What ginormous 70-foot screen did you see it on? Uh, My 20-inch television. Wow, just, oh my God. Well, but I was close to the TV, so it was like looking at it in a 70-foot, 70-inch screen. Did you, and you, oh. you know what the project is coming after that, right? Hmm. Because you, you, you remember John uh, Riley's, John C. Riley's uh, throwaway line, basically said like, you know, he's, a, he's, he's young, so he's still growing. Right. Because the, uh, the whole reason was to set up uh, when he fights Godzilla. Oh, there, oh Cool. Did you not know that? I, uh, I, I don't. Godzilla you're, versus you're, King. Your movie, Dave. Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong is happening. It's just kind of like they, they had it back in the old days with like the man in the suits. They're going to have this. Because obviously, if you're, if you're watching it, you're like, well, obviously Godzilla was, would tower over Kong. That's why they, the one little line of dialogue. And he, he's, 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 like, he's a boy, so he's still growing. He's a growing boy, whatever. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure how he's going to get from then the Skull Island in the South Pacific to well, I guess no, because well, they're gonna have to. Godzilla br- was 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 in San Francisco. He was based in Pacific, yeah. So, 
they're going to have to bring him in. You know, but like you Godzilla's noticed... going to be terrorizing something. They have to go back to the island and be like, Kong, we need your help. And he's going to be like, I'm not leaving. And you saw all the post-credit sequence stuff? Um, the thing where John C. Riley comes home, spoiler alert. Wasn't there, there's also, or was also at the end of the movie where they show like Monarch has oh, been like, no, 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 they I have like the, the, the picture of like a, like a thing of like Rodan, Mothra, Hydra. They're setting up the entire monster, uh, the um it's called the MonsterVerse. Okay. Not to be confused with universal monster movies, which are doing the dark universe, which that piece of shit Tom Cruise mummy movie was. Oh, that was that was supposed I, to be really I, bad. I didn't see it because it just sounded completely stupid. Yeah. And apparently ended with him, spoiler alert, with him being like a god. Oh, really? Which would then seem to throw everything away. Because if he's a god, who cares about the Invisible Man or Frankenstein? Because he's a god. Or, like, yeah. That seems like more, we should be making a movie about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure they did. It was called like Battlefield Earth and uh, every other Tom Cruise movie since, like, what, 2000 or something? Tom Cruise was in Battlefield Earth? No, the Scientology stuff. Oh, okay, I gotcha. All right. You know. Unlimited options for renewal. Yeah, hey, I, I pass the Scientology Center every single day now on the way to work. No, how weird is that that we have one right in the middle of everything in Miami? Okay, Yikes. I, okay. You, you, you know the building? Have you seen it? Have you driven past it recently? It's on US 1, yeah, yeah. Okay. Did the parking situation used to be the cars right up on the road? Because I have a theory. I feel like I, after the storm, I saw a whole bunch of cars like in the parking lot, but they're all like parked right, like sort of facing the roadway. I'm like, was that always that way? Or are they trying to get people to think, oh, look, the Scientology Center is packed. I should check it out. Yeah, they're, they're sort of... I think they're engineering that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, God, these... Oh, my God. Such... So wow. creepy. That's, that seems strange. I mean, I would have never thought the Scientologists would be dishonest. Shocking. Mm-hmm. All right. A couple more listener questions here. And I think that's it. I think we got two more. And Where, we where's have the money ball? This. This, is this the money ball? Moneyball, what do you mean by This is the Moneyball question. They're all Moneyballs. This is the one where Ryan has a a 10 multiplier. That's right, where every question is worth $100. And if we get the best question, oh my God. It's Powerball. Ryan donates and matches the existing Powerball of the day. How about you shut your damn mouth? (laughs) What are you doing to me? Well, if you're going to do that, I'm just not going to answer the question. Ha ha! But then, but then, then we don't raise any money for hurricane relief. Damn it, you got me. Fine. We're... The $10 question, not the money Powerball question. Uh, What does a good and fair producer agreement contain? What types of provisions should artists watch out for? This is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Craft services. It's important. Yeah. You know. Gotta eat. Gotta eat. But like good craft services, not like in Spinal Tap with like the really tiny bread. Have you not seen Spinal Tap? Sorry. Oh, you're going to make fun of me for this. Oh, I can feel it. Well, all the cool people out there, they've seen Spinal Tap. You know, it's like... Where to start? You know, look at look at the bread. It's, it's so small here. You just got to keep folding everything, and you just keep folding it. And then look at look at this. You want to eat? This? No, I wouldn't want to eat that. So craft services, craft services. That's that's my uh, main thing. Ryan, you probably got more. Well, in addition to craft services, uh, there are a few other things. But honestly, this can be a difficult question to answer in just you know a short period of time. This is almost a whole episode in itself. Because it's impossible to determine what makes a good producer agreement without actually seeing the specific agreement itself. So whatever agreement you are going at with a producer and an artist, have an attorney look at it. But I'll say this is a general matter. Let's kind of expand the field a little bit here. Because I find myself, when I look at producer deals, having big fairness concerns. My fairness 
you know, alarm, red flags come up. Whenever I see a producer agreement that looks less like a producer deal and looks more like a record deal or a management deal, something where it's not, I'm going to produce this one song for you, this one album for you, and you're going to own the music as the artist. The art, the artist is going to pay me a fee and maybe I get a small royalty. I get some back end points as the producer and that's the deal. But where I start seeing the fairness concerns is when the deal is more like a record deal or a management deal where it's, I'm going to produce the next four albums you make. I'm going to completely take over your development as an artist. You can work with only me. You can only record with me and nobody else. I tell you when you record, I own your music. I run your career. Oh, and I also get 30% of every dollar you make, even if it is completely unrelated to this album, even if, you know, if it's live performances, merchandising, I get 30% of everything, you know, those kind of exclusive recording deals, they get, a, you know, that looks more like a manager. That's where I get scared. I see so much exploitation. I've looked at way too many of those deals that where it's, it's all the pain of a record deal, but with none of the financial contributions of the record deal mm -hmm. and people's lives get ruined. And the most press, you know, prevalent example of this is what we've seen with Kesha and Dr. Luke, which is a example of a producer deal, but it's not really a producer deal because it's just a management slash record deal that's disguised as a producer deal. Mm. So that's what you want to watch out yeah. for there. So in conclusion, watch out for producer deals that look more like management or record deals where the producer owns you for an extended period, controls when you record. And as with any producer agreement or any agreement, have an entertainment lawyer look at it first and make sure they're a good one. I, 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 you brought up some good points, and I want to piggyback on that. Go for it. I've been, while you've been talking, I, I did some uh, research. What the hell is going on in Delaware? I can do Delaware town or hoser talk, okay? Besides <laughs> Rehoboth Beach. Yeah. You know, like, just next to that is Henlopen Acres. Wow. Yeah. And for, there's... For a little state, they got some weird names. Guess what? They have Fenwick Isle, right? Yeah. Fenwick Isle. Okay. I-S-L-E. Sure. You want to know what's like a mile down the road? Hmm. Fenwick Island. What? Yes. What? So, like, did, 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 a, did a, a duo of explorers, you know, from like some place called Fenwick in England were like, all right, we're going to found this place and it will be called Fenwick Isle. And the other guy's like, no, I want to call it Fenwick Island. He's like, no, we're calling it Isle. And he's like, well, fine. I'm going to find my own place and I'm going to call it Fenwick Island. I guess so, because it's literally up the road on US-1. Oh my god! Yeah, what what is that crap? Get I don't your, know. Get your shit together, Delaware. What, it's like, what is happening? Li oh my god! What what what? I didn't realize a body of water right next to it. Next. Okay, you're gonna have to read that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> that's a real. That's a real. That's a real bay in Delaware. What's okay? What bay is in Delaware? <laughs> You can do it. I don't know. Is it bad if we say it? Well, no. This is a, this is a geographical feature yeah, no, of the state like, of the first state, right? Delaware. This is educational. Has this been in place since seventeen the seventeen hundreds? <laughs> I can't believe this. Okay, according to Google Maps, okay, and yeah. probably with in conjunction with the sovereign state of Delaware, yeah. of these United States of America, the first state in the union. <laughs> there's a bay right next to Fenwick Isle <laughs> called. Little ass a bit, little, little ass a woman bay. <laughs> little space a s s a w o m a n space bay. You know the de little 
as a woman, as a woman. Like, you know that the Delawareans are just like, actually, it's called Azawaman Bay. Or it's, you know, before they headed up to New York uh, in, the 18th, in the 19th century, like, you know, in the Godfather Part Two, the Italians first settled in Delaware. Little known fact. <laughs> no. It's, it's a little as a woman, Bay. Okay, it's, look at her. She's got to, she got to eat something. something. Come on. Sweetheart, please have some spaghetti. You're a, you're a little asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Comedy gold on the Break the Business if podcast. If we have any listeners in Delaware, and if we do, thank you, but why? Um, explain. <laughs> so I yeah. Explain wh- yourself, Delaware. I uh, I guess you know maybe the research should the research department do more research on this right now as you read the next question. Well, this might actually this what you just brought up kind of sort of somewhat feeds into the next question and it's the last question we've made it all the way to the end um the question is what is the biggest lesson you have learned over the course of 100 episodes and perhaps the answer for you is you learned about the name of lake Wait, like Asa woman bay the biggest lesson we've learned as as friends as individuals well, it for music industry people i assume about it's ourselves. Just the biggest lesson you've learned about the, like you know have you learned something from being on the podcast, listening to the guests, like whatever, man, it's, it's open-ended. It's a little too monumental of a question after this discovery. Well, do you want to read more about Delaware geography and find other names that'll make you giggle? And well, Wikipedia I'll... doesn't really have anything All on right. it. Let me, let me give uh, let me give my answer. Cause I actually Plus, have some I time to think about this. I don't want to talk this. anymore about it just because I just, it seems very just disgusting and vulgar. <laughs> Lake Asselwoman Bay. Well, there no little. Oh, little Asawa Bay. Yeah, Lake Bay would be weird because that would make it weird. <laughs> All right. Um, I actually had some time to think about this, unlike Dave, so I put Dave on the spot there. But I think the biggest lesson I've learned, kind of the overarching thing we've seen over and over with guests, is in this new music industry, there are so many different ways to find success. You don't need to do things traditionally to make big things happen, you don't have to fit into a particular mold. And in fact, you're often better off if you don't fit into a mold if you're different because it helps you cut through the clutter because there's more music now out there than there's ever been and we've seen so many different paths to success for the musicians we've had Spruik is big on kickstarter makes his uh money primarily on kickstarter puts out these really cool artistic you know multiple album experiences um cheryl b Engelhart, in addition to being a singer songwriter who gets a lot of placements on tv shows and in movies she also creates resources for musicians and achieves a lot of success that way we have a ton of musicians on this podcast who've achieved success on patreon where they give their stuff away for free and their fans support them month to month or project to project that's really cool and then you have perhaps my favorite example of unlikely success on the show my favorite guest we've ever had on the show and this doesn't knock any of the other guests but how can you not love Mandy Harvey, a, mm-hmm. a deaf, you know, deaf singer who, despite losing her hearing at the age of 18, has gone on to become, I mean, she's a household name at this point. Since be, since being on our podcast, she's become a household name, and not that we're taking credit for it, but she, she on some sort of national program. She made it all the way to the finals of America's Got Talent. She's going to be touring in Vegas, you know, for, for months. I mean, and, you know, I think she should have won the thing, but, I mean, she lost to a 12-year-old ventriloquist, which is kind of impressive, too, but... Oh, that's sad. I mean, 12-year-old ventriloquist, deaf singer! Really good deaf singer. I feel like that should have got her that's, to the top. That's a bad job by the parents. Haven't they learned the lessons of Jeff Denham? We don't need racist ventriloquists. How do you know she's racist? I don't know, is she? 
I don't know anything about her other than that she's 12 and she can make puppets talk without moving her lips. That is the extent of my knowledge. I don't even know the girl's name. Do I know what I've learned? Yes, I would. I've learned Ryan doesn't know who Fred McMurray is. That's such an obscure reference. God. And it's true. I don't know who Fred McMurray is. And Evan has terrible taste in drumming. (laughs) You're still mad at him about the Lars Ulrich thing? Always. All right. Let's bring this home. We've been on the air for over two hours. We have. It's It's always been home. Let's bring this metaphorically home, Dave. Um, First, let us extend our thanks to Keith Johns for coming in and playing that amazing, amazing song. Check him out, guys. He's really, really awesome. We need to support some of the local musicians down here in Miami, and he's 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 fantastic. And he he lent his time to us. He's so awesome. Our, our thanks also to our friends of the podcast, JP Calio, Kevin Bruner of CD Baby, Spruik, and Suzanne Polinski, the Rockstar Advocate, for answering some of our listener questions this week. And thank you to all the listeners for sending mm-hmm. in questions, helping us raise money for hurricane relief. And thanks to each and every one of you for supporting this podcast for over 100 episodes. Well, 100. What did I say? You said over. Oh, I guess. So technically, well, we haven't reached over yet. Well, next week. Yes. Okay, for 100 episodes. And we'll be at 101 next week. Yeah, and actually, maybe may get your questions ready for now. We have, we've got uh, Ryan needs to donate for Hurricane Irma relief. <laughs> right? I heard you say that. It's like, you know what, dude? I don't want a roof. I'd rather have listener questions answered. I really got to fix my roof. I don't. I don't. We're think... not doing. You, you want me to do this again next week? Yeah, and we're gonna we're we're tripling the amount. Ryan hey. is tripling hey, 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 hey. his donations. What a what a sweetheart! Despite losing certifications left and right, the wall is is literally empty now. Yeah, a couple of my picture frames broke in the storm. That, I'm sure that's what he's telling you, folks. But we we know the truth. <laughs> Thanks. And. Uh, you know, yeah, it's been it's been fun. Uh, the century mark. Yeah, it's thank you, Dave. We have thanked everybody else. Thank you, Dave, for joining uh, for me on this adventure. Because you, you know, we we we've been doing this podcast since we were thirteen years old, cracking <laughs> jokes like at the Flanagans, eating you know chicken Philly sandwiches and you know baby back ribs. And now we've just put microphones in front of our mouths, and it's been fun. Oh, that's what you're gonna say. We started this podcast when we were in Glades Middle School at lunch. Well, that too. Yeah. Eating, you know, that nasty cardboard yeah, but, pizza. No, but there was no, they changed it. it. I remember sixth grade, it was something good. Or sixth and seventh, and then they changed it. Remember, you had to get it from the side part. Do you remember your Glades middle school? The pizza school line, yes. Why are we talking about our middle school lunch? And they had the uh, the bags of orange juice. Yeah, that was weird. There was just basically water balloons. Yeah. Didn't, and people <laughs> use them as such, right? Oh, oh, oh my God, yes. At our, you know, crime-ridden school, for sure. It's not crime ridden, but uh, I think I thank you for uh, appreciating me. I'm, I'm not truth, but sometimes I don't even know what the hell I'm doing here. You, I'm not providing anything major. Everybody loves you on this show. You are the source. You are you are the like recipient Ryan's, of love on this like show. Ryan's gonna give you like real time like royalty advice and licensing shit and everything. I'd be like, I don't fucking care. Just do it, bro. <laughs> Roll the dice. <laughs> Take some chances. Well, there, right? there is something to be said for taking chances as an artist, but you, you do it safely as well. You know, you, I mean, you responsibly. Know, it's true. You are, we are living in a time when artists have control mm-hmm. over their their careers and such, and they can hit it big. I mean, can you imagine? We've never lived in a time where one of our listeners has a very good chance of being internationally known if they somehow subtweet the president of the United States. <laughs> one of you, 
<laughs> could be like on the same level as Kim Jong Un in this guy's head. Okay, who is that going to be? Who amongst you is going to get there first? <laughs> Find out next week. Go crazy. Thank you all very, very much for listening to 100 episodes of the Break the Business podcast. Thank you. We will see you next week.